the project. Kuwait. Learn. Learn. We'll figure out the intro. <laughs> Dr. D, I'm leaving it to you. Oh, God. <laughs> you have to hear this episode. We had somebody here who's suffering from anxiety disorder due to toxic brother and toxic family member. So it was amazing. Definitely. If you guys want to hear an amazing story of a young individual who is dealing with a toxic environment at home, being bullied by a sibling and then coming out of it and the steps she took to get out of it, I think that's what amazed me. And the lack of responsibility that her family put into or not. So there was a lot of intense feelings I felt like in this. uh, And actually, this is like one of the first times we've ever had someone that is really going through these emotions. Instead of being theoretical, we decided to make it really real and hear this person's story. I hope you guys enjoy it. This is uh, really great, especially if you're living with toxic people, you've experienced toxic uh, relationships, siblings, families. This is the episode for you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. All this and more in today's episode. <laughs> from now <laughs> So we're laughing because Dr. D was getting all technical and telling our guests that, oh, no, yeah, you sound great when I'm the one looking at the screen. <laughs> so if everyone can hear this, it's I said to her, like, Dr. D, so you're taking over the technical part. I was like, and then I told him, I think you have ADHD. I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> I have this excess energy I don't know what to do with. So I'm a technical, I'm hosting, I'm doing many things. So we need a psychiatrist to like issue some <laughs> Ritalin or something? I need something. Yeah. <laughs> all right. To oh all the listeners God. out there. <laughs> Normally we're normal people, but today I don't know. Hold on, hold on. You're a psychologist. You are nowhere near normal. All right. You know, somebody asked me the other day, why are you a psychologist? I said, don't you know all psychologists come from very yes. screwed up family? They, they are <laughs> very the, true. Shrinks are the most messed up it's people. True. They it's think true. They can, you guys probably think you can fix yourself. That's very true. Actually, that's why I went. I thought I can get free therapy, but I can <laughs> fix myself. And I'm still fixing myself. And I hope I'll be done before I die. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everybody's weird as long as they touch psychology a bit. That's uh, when they become weird. <laughs> That's, true. That's very true. I yeah. mean, remember all those psychology classes. As soon as you start learning all these concepts, then you think, wow, I have this, I have that. You know, <laughs> I remember when I was at school, undergraduate, and I took up normal psychology. The first thing I remember my professor saying, listen, people, I know we're going to study a lot of disorders and all of them, they'll apply to you, but it's okay. You're still normal. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I left the class, I'm like, I'm not normal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a great laugh. Welcome. We have a guest with us today. This guest, she's great. And she's got a lot of information to share. And we will keep it anonymous. I think it's best to not mention any names. And that's not necessary. We don't have to. We'll just go on and start talking about Why did you want it to be on the podcast? Well, I wanted to bring awareness about toxic family members here in Kuwait, especially because we are a collectivist society here. So we care about family a little too much. And so we tend to gloss over those who are toxic or those who make mistakes and not really bring it up because we think it's embarrassing or it's shameful. Very true. Toxic family members. Because I guess whenever we talk about toxic people, most of the time people don't think that their family could be toxic. They're always thinking that the outside world, their family, I mean, distant family, maybe they can think about it, friends, 
but they don't really think about toxic in the sense of like immediate family members. Yeah, which I think is a problem because that's where it's most common. At least that's what I've heard that it's not really the strangers that could be like the most dangerous it tends to be people who are around you. So whenever you talk about toxic family members, what do you mean? What I mean is people in families, they tend to do certain things that might be seen as, oh, like they're just playing around. They're just goofing around, whatever. It doesn't matter when in reality it could be very damaging to someone, especially on the inside and especially for children. People like I see a lot of family members, especially with their kids, they're like, oh, stop crying or oh, stop being loud. And it's like, that's not how you're supposed to talk to your child. I mean, yes, it's a kid, but you have to treat them like a person. Still, you have to listen to them. You got to understand what's going on because they, yes, they're kids, but that's why you need to talk to them because you don't know what's going on in their heads. They're not at the same level as you. And it's the same thing when you're older as well, because as someone who's been abused by my brother, he didn't have the same concept of, oh, she's younger, so she might not understand everything. Instead, he just thought, oh, I'm better. So I should try to help her be better because I was younger and I still didn't get everything yet. So he kind of just focused on that more. And so when you're talking about toxic family members, we're specifically talking about your brother. And whenever you say that he was very toxic towards you because you were younger. So in a way, he kind of like used his power to be able to monopolize you. Do you mind going into a little more detail about how he used his power being older? What was he abused about? And also the idea of like earlier, you were saying something about being in Kuwait and And I think it's been a clinician here for 15 years now. I feel sometimes that we always think that these concepts come from the West and we see things on TV and we assume that that only happens in the West. And we don't really realize that it's happening in the East and it happens here. And a lot of these things that are happening here. And so I think it's great that we have people like yourself who come and really, uh, obviously, Mahdi and I do this podcast because we want to be able to educate people locally and also to let them know that all these things that we have in the West, we also have them here. I mean, it depends on there's no comparison, but it's important that people really realize what the symptoms, what does toxic people mean? Does it happen here or not? So, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I was 13 at the time when it started. My brother, in a way, he was somewhat, he had narcissistic tendencies now that I'm older and I understood like what's going on. He always felt like he was the best out of everybody and that he knew everything more than everybody else. And so one day he came to me and he was like, you know what, I want to make you a better person. And I'm like, okay, like it sounds fine. It sounds like he wants to help out. It's okay. But then slowly he started to get more controlling. He would force me to do things I don't want to do. For example, we were traveling somewhere. I don't remember where. I think it was Austria. And my mom wanted to go shopping and I wanted to go. But he was like, no, you're staying here so we can help better you. And so he forced me to stay at home instead. And he would always come to my room and tell me like, oh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You're very stupid. You're worthless. You don't understand anything. And he would always just barge into my life without a warning and just forced me to do things I don't want to do. And so did you ever like tell your mom that or did you feel like something was awkward because you were 13, right? So you're starting. I didn't tell her everything. I just told her like, oh, he did this to me. Like he was bothering me or we start fighting in front of them and they think, oh, this is just like brother sister talk. It's not a big deal. And also he threatened me a little. He told me like, oh, you can't say anything to our parents or I will hurt you. And uh, he has hurt me before, like physically once he almost broke my arm. He like grabbed it and twisted it. And once he was going to punch me because I didn't ride a roller coaster because I was supposed to get over my fear of roller coasters and I just couldn't do it. And so he like went into the hotel room and like was ready to hurt me. And he didn't do it, thankfully, but he was still ready to. So I was already too scared to say anything because I thought that maybe 
he would end up hurting me again. So that must have been a very scary experience for you, especially like, as you said, as you know, our family members are supposed to be the place of our safety. We're supposed to feel secure. And, and whenever these violent behaviors start at home, and it's hard, I mean, especially at 13, I'm sure it was hard to be able to tell your parents or even recognize that something was wrong. Mm, yeah, it was very hard because at first I didn't notice something was wrong. I just felt like, oh, it's uncomfortable, but it's okay. Like, this is normal. But then as it kept going, I was thinking, yeah, this isn't right. Like, he keeps coming into my room. He won't leave me alone. He tries to control every aspect of my life. And it's just he won't leave me alone. And I think no one has to barge into someone's life forcefully and try to control you. That's not how life is. You're supposed to go and discover by yourself. And if you need help, you'd ask, not, you know, get it forced upon you. So yeah, it was very hard, especially for a girl who's 13. I mean, I'm still young. I still don't know anything about the world and trying to discover myself, trying to discover what I like, what I don't like, who I'm comfortable with. And here I am at home feeling miserable because my brother just keeps barging in and telling me things that I don't want to hear. Now, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two brothers and one sister. And so did your sister also have similar experience with this brother or was it only one brother that was a narcissist? It was only one brother and he wasn't like that with my sister. He would actually compare me to my sister and to my older brother telling me how they're much better than me and how I should be more like them and I should listen to them more, things like that. And it's for little things. That's the crazy part. It's not even for big things. Like, for example, they play certain video games and I don't. And he thinks like, oh, you should play these because there's strategy, there's more thought to it instead of the games that I like to play that require to be relaxed and just to have fun. And so he would think like, oh, you're not strategizing, so you're stupid. So you need to play them like your older siblings. Do you ever sense that there's a jealousy from your brother because are you smarter than him in school? Just out of curiosity. I mean, do you do better? Do you get better grades or do you or do you find things more intellectual? Like, do you have more intellectual like uh, hobbies, so to speak? Like you said, you were into comic books earlier, which I find most people that I know that are into comic books are usually a lot smarter than other people. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I wasn't into comics yet or reading in general. So I don't know if I tend to get better grades than him, but I know that because I'm the youngest, my parents tend to be more sweet to me. Uh, so I think okay, that yeah. might have started it. Yeah. yeah. So maybe there was that. more jealousy because he, he, she was getting a lot more attention than her brother. So he's the oldest? No, he's the second oldest. So the oldest, he never bothered you. The second oldest bothered you. Yes. And then you are the youngest. So you have a sister who's above you. Yes. But from all of this, the second oldest, he decided to bother you more, right? So when you say bother me, I mean, of course you could share whatever you're comfortable with, but whenever you're saying he's bothering me, so there's a possibility that because you were the youngest and your parents were a lot more protective of you, maybe he was jealous of that relationship and he wanted to kind of be able to prove to your parents that you're really not that sweet little girl. Or do you feel like because he's a narcissist and he has like some sort of perverted mind that he had to be able to bother you. I guess at 13, you wouldn't have known, but do you ever like wonder why did he pick you or why was there some sort of a jealousy? Yeah, I have. As I grew older, I tend to ask my parents a lot about their past and how they took care of us and things like that. And I've learned that my dad, he used to hit both of my brothers when they were kids over little things. So I think that might have contributed to his actions because as he like the years progressed, my mom taught him slowly that, oh, this isn't the right way to do it. Like you need to talk to them. You need to like comfort them instead because my mom, she had a child psychology book actually to learn like how to be a better parent, things like that. And so that kind of started with my dad like after my sister was born. So we were treated better than my brothers as they were growing older. So that means he probably had a lot of repressed anger 
towards your dad and he was using it on you and maybe at 13 because he thought that it would, you would be an easier target. Mm, probably. Than I, your sister, you mean? Yeah. Well, with my sister, he wasn't like that at all, which I don't know why. Maybe because they have more things in common, probably, because I used to like video games as well. But there are specific games that I would like to play that he doesn't. But with my sister, they like the same things. They're always like together and they're like best friends. And so I was always the odd one out. And they would try to get me to do the same things, but I just don't like them like that. It's just not me. And so he would take that as me being weak because the games they like to play has like strategy. You have to think through it. And uh, sometimes I just don't want to play those kinds of games. And he never got that. He thought that means I'm stupid or I'm weak. Tends to use that against me. So he was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive and controlling. And he tried to be able to manipulate you to make you feel that you are not good enough. Now, how long did this last? Uh, it lasted from 13 to 17. Yeah. So F four years. Yeah, four wow. years. And when did you decide that this was enough and you had to do something about it? Well, I've done this when I was like 15, when I went to my parents first. I told them, well, I didn't tell them in detail because I was still pretty scared. But I told them like, oh, he's bothering me. Like he's saying things and it hurts. And my mom would always say, oh, just ignore it. You know, they're not true. Just, you know, be more confident and that's it. And I would think, yeah, but that's not really helping me. Like I'm still kind of in a corner and he's still like above and whatever. So that didn't really help. But what did help was when I got to AUK, actually, when I went to the counseling center for the first time, because I actually first went for my cousin, not even for myself. But I thought, you know, since I'm here, I might as well ask. I used to have like these electrical like feelings in my thighs whenever anybody touches them because my brother used to touch them a lot when I was uh, 16. And because of that kind of abuse, he would think that, oh, because I'm reacting, it means that I should try to get used to it more. So he would do it more often. And that's why this started to happen. I would like get this like anxiety rush. And so I talked to a counselor and he told me like, oh, right. I think you might have anxiety, like write down throughout the day if you feel like a panic attack or anything like that. And that's how I knew that I needed help. So it, it wasn't until you got to college where you realized, let me ask, because somehow, somewhere you realized something was wrong. So it wasn't just like your brother bothering, but you've developed this panic attack or anxiety attack because of the way he was bullying you. Yes, exactly. So we could say he was bullying you. Especially like now that I'm older, when I look back, there are some moments where I realize, oh yeah, that was a panic attack. Like I, I realized the symptoms that I had, they were not normal. I don't know how I was surviving throughout these years and just not realizing it yet. Like I remember when I was 13, I couldn't even make a phone call. I was too scared. I couldn't breathe. And they would tell me, oh, it's just a phone call. Why are you so scared? Why are you being so childish? You need to grow up. And it's like, no, something is wrong here. Like, how can I not make a phone call? It's just a call. So, yeah. And it sounds like whenever you did bring attention to it, it seems like people dismissed it. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't have this idea that there is anxiety or like any mental health issues or anything like that. So they just thought, oh, you're just a child. You need to you know, grow up, which is a really horrible mentality that we have a lot here. Like we instill that in children as like as old as like, you know, three, four months that we would pretty much tell them, oh, stop crying. You're a boy. Don't be a girl. Or why are you so scared? They're just kidding. And it's like, no, this is a kid. You know, they don't have that same mentality. They're still young. They don't they're still discovering things around them. You can't really enforce your ideas to them because that's how what you believe in. You need to kind of think in their perspective. So even though you went to your mom, she didn't dismiss it, but it may be because most of the times parents, they dismiss the idea of like one sibling bullying another sibling by saying, well, it's a sibling rivalry, kids fight 
all brothers and sisters fight. So she kind of like normalized it. Yeah, she did. And I think it's because of how she grew up as well, because well, she grew up in a family of eight, which is really impressive. And she only had one brother. And he would also like bully her a bit more aggressively than with my brother, because with my brother, he's more emotional. But with uh, my uncle, it was more physical and they didn't have a father figure around either. And so she kind of had to learn how to be tough. And so she has this like tough exterior. She doesn't really get affected easily. And I think she was trying to help me learn that as well. But I'm a different person. I'm not like my mom. So I don't think she really like understood that I can't really just be like that. Right. And and maybe because her brother did bully her, she assumed that this is the way every brother and sister is. But what made yours different? When did you finally be able to tell her to take it serious? What took, you already were having anxiety attack. You're already having depression. You probably, which it's a, you know, let's talk about some of the feelings, negative feelings you had toward him. What kind of feelings did you have toward him for doing all this? Uh, it was mainly fear. I remember when I was like 14, I would hide in my room and I wouldn't get out until like I make sure that he's in his room. Like I would check and make sure. And if he's in his room, I would like run downstairs, get what I need and come back into my room. I would keep everything to myself. Yeah, that's pretty much all I remember because I because of how traumatic it was. I don't remember much of anything. I need to look through pictures to remember. Like even where we traveled, I don't remember anything that we've done at all. Because your experience was so traumatic. How terrifying. Wow. To yeah. grow up like that where you have at 14 and to... To not be carefree and to worry about your surrounding and to worry about being abused. Yeah. And I had no one to talk to. So I like created someone. It sounds sweet, but it's really not, especially because of the person that I drew. It's like this girl with like hollow eyes and I named her death. I don't know why I named her that, but I did. And I would like tape her on my wall and just talk to her instead. I've never really told anyone this. So like whoever hears this, I'm sorry, like you didn't know this part about me. But yeah, that's the person that I would like talk to and I would write things down. Sometimes like if something big happens, I would write down like how I felt, things like that. It, it's very, uh, it's very scary to look at now that I'm older. This person or this picture kind of helped you process some feelings or do you feel like it created more anger? I'm not sure if it did anything. I just know that I was too upset to say anything to anybody. So I need to create someone and I don't know if that's really healthy or not. I just know that I did it and that's it. Well, how did it help you? I don't know, to be honest with you. Like I said, I really don't remember much of anything in my teen How did these hollow eyes help you? <laughs> she looked very scary. That was the important part. She had to look scary. I don't so know. So maybe why. it was the, a mirror image of how you were feeling because she looked very scary and you were already very scared inside. So maybe this is just like the how you looked like inside on the outside. Yeah, maybe. In a picture. Because that way, if you looked like that in a picture, then it re is removed from of anything that your brother could pick up on. Yeah, that's possible. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. <laughs> But can you imagine like how many kids are living in homes that are there is sexual abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and how terrified they are? Yeah, I know. It's so horrible, especially like in the Middle East, that it's so normalized to hit your own kids and to yell at them. And I, I think that's horrible. I don't see how that could help. And clearly with psychology, it's been proven that it actually does the complete opposite. It just not... creates fear and anxiety. Exactly. Yes. So uh, it'd be great if people would stop thinking that this would work because it really wouldn't. I mean, yes, your child might stay quiet, but that's not the goal. You're not supposed to hurt them like that. You're not supposed to give them fear. You're supposed to like, you know, you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to nurture them. That's how you're supposed to keep them quiet by giving them love, not by giving them fear. Right. And, and but because I feel like because people don't, understand that this is not okay. Like people normalize abuse and they normalize 
you know, hitting. I mean, you know how many times and when I get someone at the clinic saying, I was hit and I turned out to be oh okay. Oh my God, I hear you that know, all the time. A father saying that or a mom. And, and I'm thinking, in whose eyes are you okay? Like, you know, you've got this inbreded anger in you because you learned it by being abused. And then you take that and you put it out on someone else because you're frustrated. And so I don't understand why these individuals think that they have become better people because of the abuse. They could have become better people and maybe he is a better person, not because of the abuse, but maybe because later on in life, someone gave him the support, someone helped him, made him feel safe. But we oftentimes in this part of the world, we're constantly justifying that hitting your kid is not that big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. Which is horrible because it starts at a really young age. And the thing is, you can discipline your kids, but you shouldn't want to hurt them. That's not the point of being a parent. And the thing is, is that I feel like we're starting to educate parents on not to hit their kids. And, you know, the majority are starting to learn. But the idea of the physical and emotional abuse that happens between siblings, where a lot of parents don't understand this is not okay. It's like I see enough patients who say that my brother bullied me, my brother used to do this to me, where it's been dismissed as a something normal that happens between siblings. Yeah, I will never understand that. Like any kind of hurt is never normal to me, especially between family. Like it's it's not okay. Family's supposed to keep you happy and safe and they're supposed to support you and help you out in life. And yet here we are thinking, oh, your brother is yelling at you. That's okay. You probably did something wrong. But yeah, even if I did something wrong, that's not how you're supposed to deal with it. You're not supposed to have your brother yell at you or hit you such a really aggressive way. That's that's not right. People need to realize that just because their blood doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. That's not how it works. But the scary thing about it is that how does one brother who's the second oldest. If you were 13, he was what, 17? He was four years older. So So he was 17. So, I mean, how does a 17-year-old even come up with the idea of plotting you to be his target? I don't know. I mean, that's so scary to me. And he's not the only one. There are families that this violent is like, I don't know if it's normalized, if it's learned, whether or not enough supervision. But you think about it because he's still a kid. Yeah, exactly. But has these plans of trying to make his sister a better person by trying to reinforce this aggression and this violation toward her. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He was a kid, but I feel like he should have known better still. Of course. And I'm not justifying. I'm saying that him as a kid still, that he can monopolize and manipulate and hurt his sibling without any sense of empathy. Oh, yeah, there was definitely no empathy. Like even once I cried in front of him because I was telling him about my legs and how they felt. And he dismissed it like I was being a child. Like I was full on like tears. You would think, oh, tears equals sadness, meaning that she's hurt. But he did not even care. He just he was even more upset when he's like, oh, please, like stop being such a child. You said your brother was abused by your dad when he was a kid, right? Like when he was younger. I mean, that's learned behavior, essentially. And I have a five year old. So when I take DJ to the playground. I can see it in the kids that are around of how they're acting. And then, you know, there was this one kid, DJ walked up to him, my son walked up to him and the kid went over, took his car out of his hand, just to give it back, kid threw the car and then kicked him. So long story short, this kept going on back and forth. And everyone thought I was going to yell at the kid that took the car and threw it, but I yelled at my son. And I told him, I said, you go stand up for yourself. That kid's a bully. He comes back to you, punch him in the eye. That's how I deal with it. No, punch in the eye. No, no, oh, wow. but in the playground, if the bully bullies you, he's going to come back if you do nothing. 
Of course. And sure enough, the kid did come back to DJ afterwards and threw sand in his face. And this was like mini with Lidich, like nothing. But then when I called the security, you need to remove this kid because he wasn't just hitting my son. He was doing it to every kid. And then when I saw the father's reaction when he came to pick up the son, I looked at my wife, I looked at Hey, and I said, that's why right there. Because this kid is getting abused at home. So like you said, he thinks it's normal. And we had this debate earlier about Bandura and behavioral psychologists and learned behavior. And sure enough, majority of the time, especially in Kuwait, from what I've seen, it's learned behavior from the homes, especially in the, the non-educated culture, you know, so to speak. They hit. It's, they still hit. It's quite common. And I think it's more about violent homes. I mean, the idea is that when you've got couples who are abusive to each other in front of their kids or where there's substance abuse or drugs or alcohol, when you grow up in a family that there is violence, there's no sense of safety where you don't feel at peace. There's things that are unpredictable, abuse, drugs, alcohol, all of this unpredictability causes the kids to feel anxiety. So even the bullier, he has a lot of anxiety inside of him and he's taking it out by putting it on his sister because he's thinking that this is the way to vent it because there's nobody in the house. So, I mean, if you grow up in a violent home, for example, everyone is busy trying to deal with the violence that's going on, that no one is really paying attention to the symptoms of what these kids are going through. But could it all be, is it chalked up to violence at the home or is it just how parents are raising their kids here? I think it's both. I've seen a lot of parents where it's normal to, if your son or your daughter gets out of line, and this is, you know, and I'm not saying Justin Quaid, I'm saying all over the world, give him a spank. I mean, come on, like in the 90s or the 80s, that was, it was normal. You know, hell, my mother spanked me when I was a kid, but it wasn't malicious, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where the line is drawn because like you can smack their hand, for example, but you can't hit them to the point yeah. where they get bruises. Like that's that's too far. You can't do that to anybody. That's the line between spanking. And even in the 90s, like they were trying to differentiate with people what is spanking and time is out versus beating Exactly. And I think some people were misinterpreting it, thinking that they're really spanking, especially like in that time is like spanking can be a little bit on the hand or a little bit on the bottom. And then people were misunderstanding that by really using a lot of force. Yeah. Which then, you know, so people were thinking that they're spanking, but they're really beating. Yeah. To the point where it's even a joke, like people make jokes on, oh, I'll hit you with a stick. Like, oh, I'll get a stick to hit you. And it's seen as a joke here when in reality, that's some families, they do discipline their kids in that way. And that's a horrible way to do it. When I was in school here, I, that's how they disciplined us. When I was in government school, you did something wrong. You were getting hit. You were getting hit with one of those really thin, like, cane rulers. It was like what they on, used for the goat herders. On the hand, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if it was really bad, it was the feet. Take your shoes off, socks off, bottoms of your feet. And that happened to me once. Like, I got caught smoking in the bathroom, so. <laughs> so, and then, so what's their agenda? To show that there are bruises so you can always remember uh, your mistake? No, it's the authoritative way of disciplining through fear. I mean, let's be realistic. The Arab world has always disciplined through fear. Case in point, all the countries, all of our history, they still use it. They don't use it in government schools anymore. Now the students are beating up the teachers, from what I hear. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's gone the other way. But I mean, in general, you said you were the youngest, right? Now, I was the youngest of three siblings, my older sister and brother, and my father used to abuse them. And being the youngest, I escaped a lot of the abuse. So now my older brother, I guess he was a little different. There was some bullying and whatever. 
there was some bullying towards me because I never got what they got. Does that make any sense? Do you ever feel that's part of it? There's like a resentment because you never got the beatings, so to speak? Yeah, I definitely think so because they do bring it up from time to time. They say like, oh, dad treats you better than us from time to time and it's not fair and things like that. And I do tell them, yeah, that's not really fair, but it is what it is. You can't take it out on me. Like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm, you know, the youngest. They ever call you the tattletale of the group too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they did. I've been there. I've definitely been there. And it's hard. And I think for me, I had established a relationship with my older brother. And that went beyond him thinking I was the tattletale. And I think it was because I understood where he was when my dad used to lay into him, so to speak. My older sister, on the other hand, we still don't get along to this day. She bullied me. I got six stitches on the top of my head. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) like I've been down that road. I feel bad for you because I know how it feels to be the youngest in a family. And it's tough. But has it gotten better over the years? Okay, the thing is that my brother, he tends to do this thing where at some point of the year, he becomes like the best brother ever. He's sweet, he's thoughtful and whatever. But then one day he just switches back and he kind of just starts to be mean again. Like right now, for example, he's being super sweet. Like we were bonding today earlier over Batman comics and things like that. We're just looking over and just have like jokes and whatever. But I still don't really believe and I still don't trust him because I feel like one day he's just going to switch back like he always has before. So yeah, Yeah, you find him to be unpredictable, of course. Yeah, exactly. So you don't find him to be the source of your safety or security at all. Yeah. And obviously because you've got long history of abuse from him. Yeah, exactly. And that's why that's one of the things that my mom also doesn't get. She like, if I tell her about how I feel, she says, oh, but he's being really nice now. And I'm just like, yeah, but Ted Bundy once worked for a suicide hotline, but he still killed like 30 women. So it doesn't matter. Do you ever string any (laughs) triggers together by any chance like I know with my older sister for instance if I'm closer to my mother or my other sister she starts to display more aggressiveness towards me whether it be on the phone or whatever so like are there any triggers from your parents like if they're nicer to you or if they give you something or they give you a praise does that sort of trigger him to flip the switch no I don't think with my parents necessarily I don't know what triggers him to be honest with you it just happens I I really don't understand I think it's when I speak up mostly like if I stay quiet nothing really will happen but if I speak up about something no matter how nice I say it he tends to flip and goes against me because he wants the spotlight sounds like yeah sounds like when he were growing up that he was in the spotlights because you know kids boys that get abused by their father then they get to be dismissed yeah And then it sounds like you being the youngest or the girls had the spotlight at home. So in a way, he was trying to get some spotlight off of you too. Especially if he's a narcissist. I mean, earlier you said he's a narcissist and we all know narcissists love the spotlight. They want to be idealized. They're constantly looking to receive attention, admired. They have no sense of empathy. So it sounds like we had the other. So he was a narcissist in the making and no one really knew it. Yeah, exactly. So is he a full narcissist now, you think? What's Um, his life like now? I don't know. Like I said, I, I, he's very... He's not married now? No, no. He has a job now. He's, been he's graduated for, from college? Yes. Okay. He's been working for a few months now. Okay. And I mean, yeah, he's being sweet now. He's, you know, he's great and whatever, but I still don't trust it. I don't know what's going on in his life. Do you life. think he'll ever do? Maybe. I don't know. I still don't trust him. So, yeah, because he still has like certain beliefs that I don't really accept. So it's... I don't think it's going to happen. Now, I know that you also have a thought or you did seek psychotherapy to work on all this abuse. So how long have you been in therapy now? Uh, A year. 
a yeah. year. Yeah. And how do you feel like it's going? It's going great, actually. I'm, I'm really happy that I've done something about it because uh, a year ago I was suicidal. I would self-harm. I wouldn't leave my room. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I, I would just stay in my room. And at one point I went to the hospital because uh, I had like a really bad panic attack and I got dizzy and I couldn't really like focus or anything. But now I'm more confident. I feel like I, I'm more optimistic. I haven't self-harmed for a year now. which is Tell great. me when your self-harm started. Started last year in May. The end of May. Why last year in May? Because that was a few years after the abuse. Yeah, I'm not very sure. I think social anxiety probably triggered it. Social anxiety? Probably. Is that when you first started school, university? It was, yeah, it was like a year into uni okay. at the time. I've always had like social anxiety symptoms. I wouldn't diagnose myself as a kid, but I think I still had the symptoms anyway. Social anxiety? Yeah. And I just think that maybe because it hasn't really been treated right, not yet, I started to develop depression because of it. And yeah, I think that's where it really started. It just happened randomly in May. And did, you mean self-harm started in May. And did you realize it was self-harm? I mean, what kind of thoughts were you having when you were self-harming? You know, I would think like, oh, I don't really matter. I shouldn't really be here. You know, I should just leave the world. I mean, what's the point? I'm not really going to go anywhere and things like that. And I won't say what I did, but I knew that there was a chance where I wouldn't self-harm, but I just felt like I had to do it. So I did it anyways. So I left like three, four cuts on my hand. And if anyone asked, I would say, oh, like a cat scratched me or something like that. So they wouldn't really know. And then you said at one time you went to the hospital for suicide, you mean? No, no, just a panic attack. But it was was more severe than my usual. Like I got dizzy. I couldn't really focus. I couldn't stand up. I had to go really fast. And I think I was 16 at the time when it happened. So I went to the hospital. I was panicking. I couldn't breathe or anything. And uh, they just told me, yeah, it's just stress. And they just discharged me and they let me go. Which I don't think is good, to be honest. I think they should have did done they not, something. Yeah, I was going to say, did they not process? <laughs> did they not have anyone? I mean, no. especially now we do have psychiatrists in all our hospitals. Yeah. Did they not call in? Did they didn't think this is, was important? No, they just put a bunch of wires, checked my heart rate and all that. And they just said, oh, it's just stress and that's it. And they just let me go. Everything is stress. <laughs> exactly. I love the way when they can't diagnose you properly, they say it's stress. Yeah. Seriously. And they just um, let me go. And I now that I'm older, I, that's not the right thing to do. They should have like asked me questions, see why I was stressed. Maybe there could be something going on. Refer me to somebody. I don't know. Like you shouldn't just be like, oh, it's just get out of here. Like that's just not the right way. Right. So here you are. It would have been your good chance of getting some help. Yeah. Or at least someone to be able to diagnose you properly. Exactly. And then you didn't even get diagnosed properly. It was dismissed by stress. Yeah. Although I didn't go to school the next day, so that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, a couple of days you could have taken yeah, for I know. stress. <laughs> Nowadays, everyone's off for stress. Exactly. Yeah. So it's very disappointing for you to be able not to get the right therapy or the right treatment until you get to college and then you go to the counseling center and someone says, well, sounds to me like you're having panic attacks. Yeah. yeah. It's very shocking. But at the same time, I wasn't that shocked because I did my own research. I know you're not supposed to like Google symptoms and (laughs) diagnose yourself, but I knew something was wrong. I knew this isn't right. So I Googled and I was like, mom, look, like there's something wrong. She's like, no, it's not true, whatever. And I'm just like, mom, come on, like, don't be Arab right now. Like do something. Why was you so much against this idea that you might have a mental illness? I don't know. That's what was really shocking because she had a psychology book for kids. Why can't you just believe that I might have symptoms now? Like it didn't make any sense. What do you think that was about? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with my mom. (laughs) Like you feel like, oh, she would get it. But then when you go to her, she doesn't really get it 100%. So it's very confusing. And uh, 
Yeah, that's why I stopped kind of going to her. I'd rather just talk to my friends or go to my therapist and that's it. Don't really go to my mom. Right. And, you know, and that's like brings us to another thing that I think we've talked a lot about in, in our podcast is even today when I was doing these videos that are coming up for a TV show, but it's constantly it reminds me of people will do anything to avoid realizing that ma, their kid or they or someone they know needs psychological help. It's very interesting. The other day I got a phone call from someone who had seen me on TV, whatever, and then said, I really like, I think you really talk a lot about psychology in a really good way and I approachable and I, on and on. And I really learned a lot from you. And then what I noticed in that whole 15 minute conversation on the phone. So anyways, he Googled me, found me, got a number call. And then I was thinking to myself, if everything is going, so he, the whole time on the phone, he's making it look like everything is great in his life. So I was sitting on the other end thinking, why is he calling me? Like, if everything is great, don't get me wrong. He kept on saying, don't get me wrong. I'm very strong. I have managed many things in my life. And then I was like, still waiting for the ideas like, you know, but I have this and I have that. I'm like, well, sounds to me like you do have some issues that you really need to address beyond this phone conversation. No, no, no. You don't know. I'm really, I can handle a lot of things. And, you know, I don't have a problem. I study psychology. I love psychology, but nothing is wrong with me. But I'm experiencing these symptoms. Like, like the whole time, this person, 15 minutes, he was struggling. And I said to him, so if you've open-minded about psychology, you obviously listen to what I'm saying on social media and you're calling me. So it means that there's something wrong. And then, and I said, something doesn't have to be wrong. Maybe you just need to explore. Maybe something you need to work toward. I mean, why does everyone have to sit there? So he spent a whole time, called me for a reason, but then I didn't understand what that reason is because he was spending the whole time trying to tell me how strong he is. And if he was calling a cardiologist, do you think he would have said that? He would have probably called the cardiologist and told the cardiologist, look, my heart is doing this, this, this. And then the doctor would have said, go to the hospital, to your nearest hospital. And that's it. For me, he was trying to convince me that he really doesn't have any issues, even though he's calling me. And then it looked like from that conversation, there's a lot that was going on with this person. I mean, it's a constant struggle of why parents want to wait. I mean, I've had so many cases where the parent, where the kid came and told their mom several times, like you, there's something wrong, mom. Something is wrong. My brother's doing this or my uncle is doing this or in people in the school or forget about doing. I don't feel good. I'm depressed. I'm thinking of killing myself. And the answer is what? It's okay. It's just a phase. Seriously? What's wrong with being able to say, okay, obviously this kid is coming to their parent, which they're supposed to, and tell you that something is not feeling right. Just like if I come and I say, look, I don't feel right. My temperature is high. I'm sneezing. I don't know what. Right away, my mother would have taken me to a doctor, a family practitioner. I don't understand. A kid is coming to tell you there's something wrong with me. My brother's doing this. My friend is doing this. Do you know how many cases I see? sexual abuse or sexual inappropriate touching where they've gone to tell their parent and the mom is like, oh, but this is normal development. What normal development? I don't know any normal development that says it's okay to be touched because all of this because parents don't want to accept that there's something wrong with their child. Exactly. Yes. That's actually what I went through because when I told my mom that my brother was touching my thighs, like for me, it's so uncomfortable. So I tell him to stop, but he wouldn't. And I told my mom, she said, did he think of it in a sexual way? And I told her, probably not, but it's bothering me. She said, oh, so it's okay. I'm like, I'm still annoyed. Can't you focus on me for a minute here? Like I'm bothered. I'm uncomfortable. I don't care like what he's thinking. What about me right now? Like I'm not feeling okay with this. 
And so she kind of just dismissed it because he's not thinking of it in a sexual way. But that's not the point. It's exactly not the point. The point was, is that he is not respecting his boundaries. So instead of going to him and have a conversation, did she ever go to him and have a conversation? I mean, she's talked to him before, but not about this, I don't think. I mean, whenever you told her about, you know, he was touching your thigh and she thought, well, if it's not sexual, it's it's okay. But did she ever go and approach him and talk to him? Why was it all your problem? He's the one that was giving you the problem. Why was she looking at it as this is something, it's your problem, you need to deal with it? Exactly. That's all that, I don't know why she thought of it that way, but that's all she's thought of. You know, in my teen years, I think that was the issue is that she didn't really tackle it. She didn't really talk to him. Although with the him touching my thighs, I did tell my dad and that's where it stopped. I think it's because I almost cried when I was telling him because I was just so fed up with what's going on. But even then, he didn't seem to receive it very well. He's just like, okay, okay, like he didn't even comfort me or try anything. So even then, it still wasn't very comforting. Brother was never held accountable. Did he ever get held accountable after all these years? Um, Did he ever pay the price of what he has done to you? Not really. They just talked to him and that's it. Nothing really happened. He's still living under the same roof, under the same poor boundaries. Exactly. Same thing. Same thing. And uh, nothing has changed except that you're gone to therapy and now you know how to protect yourself? In a way, yeah. And also he's being super sweet at the moment. So I'm kind of taking that as an advantage for myself. uh, When did all this bullying stop? It's back and forth, but it stopped like a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. And so you feel a little bit safer at home? Yes, I do. But I still try to somewhat be careful with what I say in front of him or what I do. Because I still kind of, I'm a little scared to trigger something and then we fight. And then my dad says, stop fighting or deal with it or whatever. And it's just like a cycle all over again. So I'd rather just be careful. Yeah, but it so makes me so upset that the victim is always the victim. Like here it is, you've tried several times to, to reach out to adults and here the adults are talking to you about it when instead of to going to talk to the bullier. I mean, and this happens at school also and it happens at work also where the person who is bullying the co-workers or bullying the kids, I don't feel like they get enough consequences. It's always they're trying to teach the victim how to take care of yourself or the victim to have to do all these like, you know, behaviors to protect yourself. But I don't feel like they don't really, you know, the perpetrator never really gets reprimanded or he should have been removed from your house, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree. A lot of my friends said the same thing when I told them about what he did. They said, oh, you should get him to jail, like get him to jail and out of here. And I said, like, oh, I can't really do that because of my mom. And it's a lot to think of. You want your brother to go to jail and there's not even much proof either. So they probably won't even do it. But to put your family through that to make them to make it known to your extended family, it's it's a lot. And the issue as well is um, I have asked my mom before, like, oh, why don't you tell him to stop? Why don't you talk to him? And she says, oh, he's old enough to know what to do. So like, if he knows it's wrong, Kefa, like whatever, like God will judge him and whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, but you know, he's still doing something wrong. Even though he's an adult, he still kind of needs to learn that this isn't right. Because I mean, I think this is going to be a repeated behavior. I mean, tomorrow when he has his own family, his own kids, if no one has sat down, I mean, he should be the one getting therapy. And see, that's another thing is, is that here the victim is required to go get therapy. So like you are the victim, you're going to get therapy. So that way you can go get over a lot of this abuse that happened to you. But no one is making him or forcing him to go to therapy. So that way he can he can process this bullying. He can process this abuse. And that way he could be a better father, a better husband, a better friend. I mean, now he's going to move on from this toxic environment to another toxic environment where he's just going to repeat without having been taken. Your parents haven't really held, they didn't hold him accountable. No. 
And I've talked to him about it before. I've told him like, oh, like, why have you ever thought of like going through therapy or something like that? And he said, oh, I don't really believe in psychology. It's all crap. It's not true and whatever. And both of my brothers have that mentality where it's not all true because they think that it's not 100% facts. It's just assumptions. And so they don't really believe in it. And that's why they think that therapy is stupid and I don't need it and medication is whatever. And it's it's really hard to get to them when you talk about psychology. So you've never really confronted him. You've never had a session where you and him can sit down and be able to confront him about all the hurt feelings that you have toward him. No, but I have like told him before, it doesn't seem to really do much anyways. I mean, in therapy, has your therapist ever recommended that this is a process of something that you want or write a letter to him where you can at least tell him what he's done? Or do you feel like you're ever going to be ready to do that? I don't know because I still don't really trust him. I don't think that he's really gotten better with his actions because he's always switching back and forth. So how am I supposed to know if he's gotten better? And he's not going to get better if he doesn't go to therapy. Exactly. And I don't think he will want to go ever. So I don't really know what to do about it. Except well, to I don't just really think it. it's your problem to do anything about him. I think what you need to do is to be able to con- work on protecting yourself. But it's also, I mean, the least that he could do is be able to apologize for what he's done to you. But he'll never get to that level since he's never been held accountable. I mean, it sounds like still in your family, they're not, they're not really seeing it as something serious, even though you've developed social anxiety, panic attacks, you know, depression, suicidal ideations, self-harm. You've developed all of that because of the situation that you were in. Yeah. And the issue is because it was in the past, they think, oh, because it's in the past, whatever, it's forgotten, but I haven't forgotten it. I'm still being affected by it every day. So no, it's not really in the past. It's still pretty much here. And yet still nothing is really happening. And I think that's one of the issues with having a toxic family member here in Kuwait or in the Middle East in general, because they just don't see it that way. They don't really believe much about in psychology and about how family can be just as bad as a friend or as a stranger because they're family, they're blood. It's okay. Like you have to have them around all the time. You can't cut them off or anything like that. And I think that's toxic thoughts. Like that's very toxic to think of. I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty tough. I mean, it's a tough situation. I mean, in all honesty, you know, and and I can relate to it. So I'm just kind of taken back. It's a very relatable issue for me, you know, growing up with my background. And it's just, it's really tough because usually there's no way out until like you get older and hopefully your older brother matures a little bit and, you know, things kind of get better. But if your parents aren't really stepping in, that's where it's going to get harder. But on the flip side, he's got a job. Mainly he's going to get married soon. Once he gets married, hopefully he'll move out. He's going to get married and he's going to repeat this with his wife and his kids. Well, you can't force him to go get psychological it's help. It's not really her. At least. It's not her responsibility to get him help. But where are the parents? Why are the parents not trying to cure him? Now he's going to be somebody else's problem, some other woman's problem, another family problem. And this cycle of, the, of violence will continue. What do you mean, Dr. D? Let's be realistic. Psychology is a new topic in Kuwait and throughout the Middle East. Like not a lot of people know about psychology. They don't understand the psychological implications that beating your child has. They don't get it yet. I always equate Kuwait to the United States five years ago. When it comes to psychology and when it comes to child abuse, abuse of females in general, I look at it like we're still in the 1970s. But this is why we're educating. And this is why, I mean, her parents are educated. We're not talking about parents who are not educated, who are primitive in their own way. We're talking about educated parents 
who they themselves are intimidated by the bullier who happens to be their son that have never taken the time to hold him accountable. Why is it her fault that she has to get treatment for herself for things that she didn't even develop? She is getting psychotherapy because she was put in a position where her brother inflicted pain. And now the person who inflicted the pain, the perpetrator gets to do what? So they're afraid of him. They don't want to confront him. And it's not to talk about your parents, but the sad thing is this happens all the time. I'll get people in my office. Well, they'll bring the victim who needs help, which does, but then they'll never bring the person who inflicted this pain. For example, let's say a father who caused so much abuse, physical and emotional abuse to their child. They'll bring the kids for me to work with, but then they've never asked the father to come. And whenever you suggest that, as of like, I just said something from hell. Uh, where's the father? We need to confront him. We need to talk to him. You No, 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 no. He will never come. No, 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 no. He's very difficult character. No, 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 no. You don't want to deal with him. That's the only thing I want to hear. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to deal with him because it is not fair to identify this person as the identified patient when really there is another person who should be held accountable. But let's be realistic. In the world we live in, it's not like that. It's, it is that I'm it's, living it's, in this it's, world. It's, it's not. Why you know, not? Flowers I mean, you're and still not. You're still not. Uh, you're still not over your sister's abuse. And look yeah, how many I'm, years it is. Yeah, you still haven't worked on your relationship with her. I have my issues. I've worked it out. I don't need. You to say work. you don't get along yeah, with I, her. No, no, but I don't need to work on my relationship with her. Why in not? Because in my opinion, for me personally, and this is just my personal approach at life, if you cause me harm. If you cause me mental harm, if you annoy me in any way, which disrupts my family. And and when I say my family, I'm like my son, basically, then you know what? I don't need to talk to you. I do that with a lot of people in my life, whether it's my mother, my father, my sister. If there are certain points in time where they stress me to a point where I know it's toxic and I need to back away because it starts to affect the other facets of my life, I do that. But that's not the right way of doing it. That's just my way of doing it personally. For other people, it might not work, you know? Mm, Yeah, no, I get it though. Yeah, I wanted to cut out my brother. The silver lining for you, and I think this is commendable, this is extremely commendable that you are seeking help. You are taking steps forward. You are doing the right thing. And that is braver than not actually going forward and doing what you need to do by getting help. You are extremely brave and heroic, to be honest with you, that you are taking these steps forward to better your life and to make sure that you don't do this with your children. So, okay, her brother's not doing it, but look at the example that she's setting. No, she's doing a great job. And you should, no, I mean, there's nothing about, she is doing a great job. And actually she wouldn't even realize all the, all the abuse and the intensity of it. She wouldn't even have inner peace if she wasn't getting the therapy she's getting. The idea is that is when you are asking the person to get therapy because they're improving themselves, but they're still living in the same household where there is violence, then that really uh, doesn't really improve the situation she's in. And the idea is, is that to kind of water it down and make it sound like it's going to be somebody else's problem. I can't wait till he gets out of the house. Now he has a job and tomorrow he'll get a, he'll but watering ma- it he'll down, marry. Watering it down for her sake. I mean, look, why do I need to water it but, down? But, but, he's got but issues. You can't, you can't force him or the parents no, to nobody's, bring him in. No, I couldn't. No, I hope. she's actually taking I'm steps sorry, forward. I, she's, that's fine. It's not about her, Mahdi. You're making it look like about her. She's already taken what she needs to do. What I'm saying, that parents have the legal responsibility to also hold him accountable. I'm not talking about her. 
She's doing the right thing. Do you know why? Because she went somewhere where someone identified and said to her, you've got anxiety because she's a college student who's studying psychology and she became aware. But think about the thousands of girls that are like her who are not even in college, who are still 13 and 14 and 15. Very true. And their parents are not holding the bullier, their son, responsible for this. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about her getting therapy. And that's very true. Why are the parents not stepping up? I'm a mom. If I ever, ever get any idea that my son is bullying my daughter, you will see him first if he's alive. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's you know? educated people. That's people that understand. We're talking this, about like educated you, parents. Like but her parents are edu- educated. But they're educated. No, no, no. Not let's not use sense, education. But you're not, they're not educated in the sense this of This has nothing to do with yeah, but my mom. Yeah, but my mom is educated in psychology for kids. Shouldn't she have known this? But here's, I mean, here's come the on. thing. If they, you if know they has so nothing educated, to do. No offense to the parents. No offense to your parents. If they are so they educated. They didn't want to approach the son because he's a bullier. Because parents avoid the aggressive the father, child. The father used to bully the son. Right. So, I mean, and there are steps. Parents here, people in general in Kuwait, they don't take psychology or they don't take that route. And we know we had um, the lady from is, Abolish on. This is not about psychology. Why do you keep on bringing psychology? What is not about psychology is about parents holding a child responsible. I don't care who you are. You don't have to be a psychologist to realize that hitting. I mean, right now we live in this 21 century where you can Google damn thing. You can look up YouTube. You don't even have to come to psychology. Nowadays, you can do everything online. You don't even need to come to my office to know something is wrong. The amount of education we get, the amount of Netflix these people are seeing, the amount of TV that they're watching. And you don't think her parents realize that they, no, no, no. You know what happened? Just like a lot of parents do. They don't want to deal with the troublemaker. They would rather deal with the nice child. So because the troublemaker, oh my God, he gives you a headache. And see, these bulliers are so aggressive that you don't want to deal with them. So you would rather pamper them, put them aside, pretend like, oh, I hope you graduate and get a job so you can be someone else's problem because we don't want to deal with it. It has nothing to do with education. I mean, her parents are educated and they're still like this because we don't want to deal with things. Because I'm a parent, you're a parent. You know why? Because we take it personal. When someone comes to me and says, your child is aggressive, suddenly I feel like I'm defending all the aggressive people. <laughs> but is it, is it is it don't want to deal or don't know how to deal? I there's think it could t- be both, but I think yeah. most of the time but we, is it we try want, to avoid. It, no, there's a big difference a lot between of them, don't want to and don't know my how experience, to. I say the majority don't want to deal with it because they assume I love the way people just brush everything under the carpet development. This is the norm for sibling rivalry. This is development. Well, if you don't know, look it up. Yeah, exactly. Like when she comes to her mom and several times and says the same thing, granted, maybe she didn't understand when she's saying my brother's bothering me. Yes, I hear my daughter saying my brother's bothering me. You know, but when she says it a couple of times, when she comes in and starts to elaborate about certain things for four years, you don't think I need to deal with it? I'm a parent. It's my job. But again, if they don't know how to deal with it, if they don't no, look I it think, out to look No, up I think the issue is with effort because they have talked to him before with certain things, but that didn't stop him. He's still doing some things that they told him not to do. But their mentality is, oh, he's old enough to know as long as we've told him, Khalas kefe, like he can do what he wants. And that, I don't think that's right. Like he still has to be held accountable. That's your child. Of course. Yeah. And Khalas kefa is not, it doesn't work. Exactly. Because he's like an adult 
So like it's his life, but that's still not right. Like you wouldn't say that to someone. Yeah, that but you're still living in the same environment. I was just gonna say, like if if it's my kid, like dude, you're living under my roof, my rules. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's that's how it was in my dad's house. That's how it was in my mom's house. That's how it was in my sister's house when I stayed with her for college. It was like under my house, my rules. Yeah, of she course. had certain rules. I had to follow them. Me and my brother get into fights and, you know, she pinned both of us against the wall. And she was like, look, you both. And my sister's tiny. So <laughs> she takes both of us by our throats, puts us up against the wall. She's like, look, you both cut the shit right now <laughs> or you're out of the house. And that was it. And from there on, we didn't really have any fights after that. But I mean, again, like if your parents don't feel like dealing with it, then that's a whole different story. That's on them at the end of the day. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we have to give uh, them credit is like, I'm not sure if they don't want to deal with it or they were brushing it under the idea that maybe he'll grow out of it. Or now that he's an adult, it just seems like there was a lot of excuses that has didn't help you. I mean, that's the point. The point is, is like, again, as I said, you know, always the victim. I feel the victim is always paying the price. You know, yes, you could get psychotherapy and yes, you need to for things that he inflicted on you. Yes, you're doing a good job and and it's bravery to admit that you needed to work on these things. But it's difficult to be working on these things and going back to the home that still is the, is the house that kind of these are where you experienced it to begin with and not feel safe still at this age to continue not to feel safe. I feel like it is. It's brave from you to be able to talk about and educate parents in general about that these things does happen in your house. It's the same thing as like abuse. We always think it's the stranger that does the abuse. We always think it's the next door neighbor. And we never well, it's really actually think the least about, likely. It's the least likely. I mean, we all know statistics of sexual abuse. You know, the statistic is the least likely it's going to be a stranger in the street. Most of the time, most all sexual abuse cases happen with people you know. Exactly, because there's access. And there, exactly, there's access. And you know that the secret will be kept because no one will believe you. So the idea is, is that, I mean, what is it going to take from parents to stop defending against their own parenthood skills and look at the situation? I mean, the reflection that this is not a reflection about your parents and their bad parenting skills. It was more about your brother who developed narcissistic tendencies. And this narcissist is a personality disorder. You know, it's nothing that your parents could have done. Maybe it was the abuse. Maybe not. Because a lot of times the narcissist, some narcissistic personality disorder has nothing to do with abuse. So it could have been that this is part of his personality. And actually, if they would have just accepted it and got him help, then maybe they would have changed some of his narcissistic tendencies. Yeah, but I feel like they think because he's being nice, that's it's gone in a way. But I don't think so. This happens a lot. Like I tell my mom that every time she tells me, oh, he's being nice. I tell her, yeah, but he always switches back. Of course. Yeah, so I don't see... And you're never going to feel safe with him. Yeah. And I hope that one day you will get to a point where you could confront him. So that way you can reach your inner peace. I think what happens with people that have abused us, what we need to do is reach that inner peace, regardless if these individuals are going to change or not. And I think one form of treatment is that once you start thinking about all the pain that this has created, going into details of why would he do that, getting over the idea and the anger of his abuse to also the last stage should be the reaching that inner peace, the forgiveness. And you're not forgiving him, but you're forgiving all the negative feelings that he gave you. I think that's the best form of healing is that you have to reach that inner peace and that only is going to be received once you forgive him. Yeah, I agree. That's actually one of my like personal goals is to try to like forgive him, but for myself, not really for him. And I'm trying to get there. It is hard. 
But you know, I'm still trying. Yeah, yeah, it is hard and it takes time. I think sometimes it takes several years of getting to know yourself and forgiving yourself and forgetting your parents. I mean, there's a lot of people you have to forgive to get there. And I think sometimes people like don't want to forgive because they think that they're doing it for the other person. And like I, like you said, it's not about him. It's about you. It's your process of your healing, reaching that inner peace in order for you to be able to get that. Yeah, I had that belief where if I forgive him, I'm forgiving it for him and not for myself. And I used to try to avoid forgiving. But now that I know better, I am trying to somewhat forgive what he's done for myself and, you know, try to get better and move on. Yeah, because you know that if you don't reach that forgiveness stage, what's going to happen is that you're going to use a lot of that negative energy, hold on to all those negative memories. Again, it's self-actualization. That inner peace doesn't come with having a lot of negative energy. It comes with a lot of positive energy. So you got to be able to release some of that energy to convert it into positiveness. And the only way to do it, and believe me, growing up, I have so many people I was so angry at and, and my family and my household. And, and I felt like until I got to a certain part of my life and then I realized, and I was like, you, I was like, why should I forgive them? They don't deserve my forgiveness. And then I realized with long-term psychotherapy, before I became psychologist, I realized this is not about them. It's about me. I need to do it to be able to be a really healthy person. And it has helped me a lot. So now whenever I look at those situations, I don't look at them with that intense anger anymore. I look at them with a little bit more at peace whenever I have an image of what happened. Yeah, it's actually somewhat similar with me at the moment. Like, I mean, I haven't really 100% forgiven him, but I'm, I'm definitely not looking at it more of a negative, you know, thing that's happened. I try to somewhat process it instead and think of it as, you know, this is who I am now because of what happened. I probably would have been different. Yes. But, you know, it's it happened. Yes. So just try to process it and move on. I think that's a great way of looking at it, to be honest with you. A Paul Check, he has a podcast. He's written several books on the hero's journey. He's probably the best person that has ever explained it. And you taking those steps forward to better yourself in the end, like that's that's part of the hero's journey. Like that's you being a hero in society and not even knowing it because you are taking these steps forward. You're going to educate more people. And I think it's awesome what you're doing. And I just hope it gets better for you, to be honest with you. Like what you're doing is amazing. It's just stay strong. That's true. And thank you for sharing your story. I know this was very intimate information from your side. And, and I think we need people like you to come on podcast to be able, and we can sit here and I can talk about it all in theory. Obviously, I teach, so I know how to do it. But I think we need more people like you who are going to educate people by their own experiences. I mean, can you imagine how many people you've, you're going to touch and who's going to hear your story? And maybe some parents will wake up and realize, wow, our kid is also saying this. Let's investigate some more and, and let's see. And it, or it could be other girls like yourself who are having that sense of rushness in their thighs or they're having this panic feeling that they don't even know it's a panic attack. And a lot of times people go to the hospital thinking they're dying of a heart attack and it turns out to be what they call stress, you know, attack. But thank you so much for being here and for your time and for educating us, to be honest. Of course, we learn yeah. from people like you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Shout out to my sister, though. She did help me throughout these years. Oh, that's like, sweet. She, she noticed something was off and she like was there for support. So she was always supportive from the very beginning. That's nice. And I think that's another thing. I think social support and finding support within your own other siblings or even family members that can really hear you out and, and reach out. So it's nice. Yeah, actually, I realized that in the earlier years of the abuse, I used to take it out with my sister. We used to fight a lot. I remember like physical fights. Like it was not 
us at all. And uh, we usually have like sleepovers where she would sleep in my room, which is like really sweet. And one day we were just like, you know, we need to stop this. We need to stop this like fighting. It's not okay. It's not us. And ever since then, we we wrote like a letter to each like each person and that's it. Then we stopped fighting and we became like best friends after that. That's great. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Shout out to her. Yeah. We need more sisters like that. Yeah, I agree. And less brothers like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.